Let me tell you a story. Once early in the morning, a group of fishermen took two boats out into the sea. They spread a net between their two boats and they cast it out into the water and they began to let it sink all the way to the bottom because it had weights on it and then they stretched it between their two boats and they began rowing their boats back to the shore, capturing all kinds of fish without uh, discrimination uh, between their two boats so that when they got back to shore and they felt that the net was heavy, they began to drag it back up on the shore and it had captured everything between their starting point and the beach. And as they dragged the net up on the shore, it was full of all kinds of fish. Every type of sea creature was captured in the net as it was dragged along the ocean floor. They began to go through the net, picking out the fish, looking at the fish, the ones that were good to eat, they put in a container, and the ones that weren't good to eat, they threw back. And so they did this all throughout the day, picking out the good fish, throwing the bad fish back taking the fish that could be eaten and throwing away the bad fish. Now, this may seem like a pointless story. You're like, why are you telling me a fishing story about a net? Like, what's going on here, Alex? Why in the world are we getting this? Well, we're in a series about the parables, the short stories that Jesus told. And this was one of the stories that he told in a long list of parables in Matthew chapter 13. He, the entire chapter of Matthew 13 is just a series of parables. And this is where Matthew, the author who had a firsthand encounter with Jesus, when he arranged the story of Jesus for us, he put all these parables together in this one chapter. Now, this is the end of our series on the parables. And we've talked about different themes that Jesus brought up in his stories, things like sheep and farming, first century things that they would have seen all the time and would have been infinitely familiar with. And one of the last things I wanted to talk about today was this idea of kingdom, because many, many of Jesus's short stories deal with this idea of kingdom. In fact, many of the ones we've already looked at, um, whether it's about farming or sheep or neighbors, they many times Jesus says in the parable, this is actually about the kingdom, and I want to tell you something about what the kingdom looks like. And so we've talked about some of these things when he said the kingdom is like a mustard seed or the kingdom seed is like leaven. We've, we've dealt with some of this before, but I thought it would be good to end our whole series by talking about the kingdom and the short stories that he says have to do about the kingdom. Jesus said that he came announcing the kingdom of God on earth. He came announcing the kingdom. He says he was traveling around sharing the good news of the kingdom. And people had the wrong idea about what the kingdom of God would look like. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel had been set apart as a special platform so God could send a promised special person. They called him the Messiah to restore the relationship between God and man, to re- throne God as king of earth. Now, this special person they were looking forward to, they had all kinds of ideas about what it would look like when he came and what his kingdom would look like on an everyday practical level. And lots of people thought it will result in the economy booming and we'll all be rich. 
it'll result in us having lots of children and having big families and huge herds and we'll become a powerful nation, we'll become the capital of the world and all the other nations will bow down and respect us. And that's what they thought the kingdom would look like. And so when Jesus showed up, the countercultural kingdom that he was bringing with him looked nothing like what the people were expecting and hoping for. And as a result, he told kingdom parables to help shift their thinking about what the kingdom of God would actually look like. See, people wanted a kingdom of power, not a kingdom of peace. Rome ruled the world, and what they imagined was that Israel would become the new Rome, and they would rule the world in Rome's place. Rome would be conquered, and Israel would become the new Rome. And Jesus was like, no, that's the wrong way of thinking. We don't want Israel to become the new Rome. We want to be something completely different. I don't want you to just become a global power. I want you to become a global force for good. That's kingdom. Now, if the people of Israel, who had spent hundreds of years expecting the Messiah, dreaming and longing for him, and studying the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, if they got the wrong idea about what the kingdom would look like, some of us may have the wrong idea about, about what Jesus as king looks like in our lives. I think sometimes we have false expectations about what it will look like to have Jesus as our king. If the kingdom is a rule and reign of God where he gets what he wants in people's lives and ultimately, eventually, in the world, then I think sometimes we expect certain things out of his reign that aren't reality. For instance, like here's one of the things I hear a lot. If you become a Christian, everything in your life will start going right. You won't have any problems. Nothing bad will happen to you. God will bless you with money and resources and give you whatever you want. That's not the case. In fact, there's many times where I've prayed about something and I've prayed about it. And it seems like, God, are you listening? Like, why are you waiting so long to respond to this? And sometimes I have to think about, am I asking for the right thing? Do I want this for the wrong reason? Is it? Am I learning something in the waiting? Just because we have an expectation of what Jesus as king might look like, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is the reality. And just like these people had a false idea about what the kingdom looks like, you might have a false idea about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe the idea you have is that following Jesus means that you're going to have to give up everything fun and everything that you enjoy and just live a life of complete sacrifice without any pleasures or joys. Uh, that's not the picture we see in the New Testament. That might be something that the Stoic philosophers would have embraced. That's not something that we see represented in Jesus' own life. He came eating and drinking is what the religious leaders complained about him. They said, look at this guy. He's always eating and drinking and having these parties with people who are uncouth and have sinful lives. How dare he hang out with such people? I mean, Jesus enjoyed wine and food. He enjoyed hanging out with people. And just because you might have an idea of following Jesus that would cost you everything so that you have no fun, that's not actually the real picture of what it looks like. Now, um, in the Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, which a lot of people hate, I thought it was really, really good. There's this line they say over and over again. They say, this isn't going to go the way that you think. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem as a traveling teacher, and he says, I come bringing the kingdom, they thought, oh good, he's going to overthrow Rome. We're going to become the central 
people of the entire world, everything's going to center on us. And he's like, no, 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 the kingdom doesn't look like what you think. This isn't going to go the way that you think. He's like, let me tell you a parable, and it's going to change the way that you think about kingdom. Um, Dr. Mangum, a professor at Missio Seminary, I like what he said about kingdom. He says, what Jesus' parables about kingdom tell us is that the kingdom always starts small, always works gradually, but ultimately permeates thoroughly. The kingdom always starts small and works slowly. See, we're impressed when God does something big, when God does something instant, but God's ways, his countercultural, upside-down kingdom, doesn't work by our standards or our methods. He starts small and he works slowly and ultimately he has a global impact. Many times I'm in a hurry for God to do something big, fast, but God's uh, standard operating procedure is slow and thorough. The people weren't expecting that type of kingdom. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It is where what, what Jesus wants becomes the rule of law, the way of life. What Jesus wants gets done. Now Jesus is first making kingdom people in order to live on his kingdom planet. So there's this gap right now, right? Jesus was in, uh, was be, became king on the cross when he laid down his life, but at the same time, he has not yet fully taken up his full kingship. He defeated sin and death on the cross, but yet he is not yet fully reigning on earth. Jesus is king, there'll be no more sickness or death, there'll be no more COVID or quarantine. There won't be any of the examples of the atrocious uh, racism that we've seen on display the last few weeks and that are symptoms of a systematic racism that's been in our country for generations. There won't be any more childhood cancer, there won't be war or poverty. When Jesus is king, what's wrong will be said Right, that's why it's good news. That's why we can get excited about it because when Jesus is king, everything that we're constantly bombarded with every day that's broken and not right in our world, in our country, in ourselves will be set right when Jesus is king. Now, kingdom is about Jesus redeeming the planet, but it's also about him redeeming people. He's making kingdom people to live on his kingdom planet. And so first, right now, he's asking you and me, will you make me king? So that when he rules the planet, there'll be people ready for his rule. Mark Sayers said, often our culture wants the kingdom but we don't want the king. We want the kingdom without the king. And you'll see this. Our culture wants justice. We want things set right. We want to do away from, with poverty and injustice. We want to do away with war and sickness and crime. But we look to maybe education as the answer or to science. Or we look to politics or to a politician or a political party. And we say, that's the answer. That's how we're going to get the kingdom benefits. But without Jesus being involved. And what Jesus has stated over and over again in his teachings and what we see in the Bible and what is 
so apparent in the Christian tradition is that humanity trying to be their own king always results in more brokenness and none of the kingdom promises that we hope for or that we all long for. In Matthew 13 verses 47 through 50 where Jesus tells this parable about the net, it starts out by saying the kingdom of heaven is like a large net. And it ends like this. The angels will go out at the end of the age and separate the evil people from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a very dramatic, that's a very uh, disturbing picture. But essentially what Jesus is saying is this story I'm telling is about the kingdom and it's about the end of everything. And as good as the kingdom is, as good as the promise of Jesus as king is, not everyone wants Jesus to be their king. Some people would rather rule a kingdom of garbage than serve in the kingdom of heaven. Because if Jesus is king, that means I have to abdicate the throne of my life. You have to abdicate the throne of your life. You don't get to be in control. You don't get to be in charge. In verses 51 through 52, Jesus continues in this passage and he looks at his disciples and in Matthew 13 he's just told all these parables about the kingdom and he looks at them and he says have you understood all these things and I love their optimistic response here they go yes that's it that's their whole response they go yep we got it we're good we we have it let's move on now knowing how often the disciples misunderstood what he was saying or how often they thought they had it and they didn't I imagine that they're probably being optimistic here and they don't really understand. He says, okay, good. Therefore, if you understand, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple, a student of mine in the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. So Jesus here asks this important question, do you understand do you really know what the kingdom is about? Do you really understand what it means to have me as king in your life and what it's going to mean when I'm king of the world? And the disciples were like, yep, we get it. We fully understand. The disciples here are so quick to say yes. And I think sometimes we're so quick to say yes. We understand. We get it. Maybe you've been around church or you've been around the Bible. You've been around religion. Maybe you even went to school and you've studied and you've trained. And so many times we think we know instead of assuming maybe I don't fully understand yet. Maybe I'm not. I really don't have it all put together. Many times when I assume I miss what Jesus is trying to say to me because I think I already know what he's going to say. When I'm talking to Darby, it's always dangerous when I think I know what she's going to say, so I don't listen to what she's actually saying. And it usually leads to really bad situations because I am almost always wrong. And I think that so many times we're like, yeah, I understand, and we don't stop and listen. What Jesus was saying is, do you really understand what the kingdom is about? Do you really understand what it means to have me as king in your life? He tells this weird parable here about a man going into a storeroom and taking out treasures old and new. 
seems strange to us, but in first century Israel, people would have a storeroom, or they we might think of it as a safe or a safety deposit box, where they would store family heirlooms. And, you know, the family would get together for a big event, like a wedding or a party or a religious festival, and they would take out these heirlooms and show the family. And the children would be like, oh, this belonged to my great-great-great-grandpa. And the family would introduce new heirlooms that would be preserved and looked at by future generations. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, if you really understand what it means to have me as king, you're marrying the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old promise that there's a Messiah coming with the new promise that you can now live in relationship with God. You can live under the rule and reign of God right now in your life. In Jesus, the past and the future are married in the present. And the church is a counter-cultural community learning to live and love like Jesus and giving people a foretaste of what it'll be like to have Jesus as king on this planet. The church is like an appetizer or an hors d'oeuvre that is supposed to whet your appetite for what's to come. People are supposed to look at the way the church is behaving, the way Horizon is behaving, the way the people that make up the church are living and loving, how they're treating their neighbors, how they're acting in community, and say, if that's what it looks like to have Jesus as your king, I can't wait until he's king of this planet. It's supposed to draw people in, winsomely make them desire Jesus as king in their own lives. Well, how we have failed at that as churches. Most people look at what churches are doing, what churches are saying, how churches are behaving, and they say, if that's what it looks like to have Jesus as king, count me out. I don't want him as my king. I don't want him to rule this planet. But the church has a responsibility. This is why it's so important that we learn to live and love like Jesus, because we are acting like a foretaste of what it's going to be to have Jesus as king everywhere. Remember Sam's Club and Costco used to do this thing where they would have little samples of food and uh, you could go in and you could try a sample of a food and you'd be like, whoa, that's really good. And then they're like, well, we sell that right here. It's $20 for this bag of tater tots. And you're like, yeah, but I just tried that tater tot and it's worth $20. And so then you go and buy it. I mean, I don't know if Sam's or Costco is going to change now because of COVID, if they're not going to have free samples anymore, but that was an important part of my childhood because I hated to go shopping with my mom, but I would go to Sam's or Costco with her, and uh, you know I'd go up to the sample lady and I'd take one, and I'm like, mmm, delicious. Then I'd come back and I'd put on one of those like fake sticky plastic mustaches that kids have, and I'd be like, bonjour, may I have another one? I was not the child who came through here before, you know? And I'd get it. I don't know if the workers like got a kick out of me or just thought I was insane. But I'd fill up on all these snack foods because I love food and I loved food when I was a kid. The church is supposed to be like that. Like you try this and you're like, oh man, these people really live and love differently. They, they, they're really acting like there's some kind of supernatural love happening and on display. And I'm excited about seeing their king become king of this entire planet. They're so about setting things right, I can't wait until their king begins to set everything right on this planet. The church is supposed to be a taste of what Jesus' role and reign will look like. The way that we live and love is supposed to make people long for Jesus as king. 
it makes me think about like what kingdom causes can I be about? What kind of things will Jesus work to set right when he comes that I can start to set right now? Now, do I have all his resources and power to set those things right? No. Will I ever be able to fully accomplish all those things? Not until he's king. But I can give people a foretaste of what it's going to look like by being about kingdom causes, things that he's going to make right when he comes. Kingdom is when we renounce our way of living, our way of loving, our way of life, and we embrace Jesus' way of life. Say, I'm not king, you're king. This isn't my life, it's your life. I don't need to get what I want as long as you get what you want. Have we done that? Have you ever made Jesus king of your life? I'm not asking if you believe something or if you've checked all the right boxes. I'm asking, has there ever been a moment where you say, Jesus, you are king. I want you to take over my life because I make a bad king. I make a bad queen. I want you to roll and reign in my heart and mind and life. See, I look forward to the day when Jesus rules this planet. But first, he wants to make kingdom people for his kingdom planet. Have you become one of those kingdom people by saying, Jesus, be my king? My agenda is no longer mine, it's yours. Somehow I become the best version of Alex the more I become and become a student of the way Jesus lived and loved. And somehow you'll become the best version of you by becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that all starts by saying, Jesus, you are my king. My kingdom is now your kingdom. My dreams are now your dreams. My desires are now your desires. Will you lead me in the way that I should live? Will you show me what kingdom causes I should be about that you'll be about when you come and roll as king? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to our planet to rescue us. For not just leaving us and giving up on us and saying, you know what? They're too far gone. We're just going to burn up that planet and start over. But instead, you humbled yourself and you took on the form of a Middle Eastern man. And for 33 years, you walked around teaching and loving people, talking about the kingdom, what it looks like to have you roll and reign in our lives. And you gave us this promise that you're coming back, that death could not stop you, that an execution by the Roman government and the religious authorities could not stop you. You came back to life. And you promised to return and set up your role and reign on this planet. And in the meantime, you're making a kingdom people to live on your kingdom planet. God, help us to be about kingdom causes. Help us not to just assume that we know what you would do, but help us to seek you and ask, like, what kingdom causes should we be about? How should we give people a picture of what your kingdom is going to look like? And God, if there's anyone who's listening who has never said, Jesus, be my king. Take over my life. Rule and reign in my heart and mind and soul. I am yours. I pray that today might be the moment when they make you king, when they abdicate the throne of their lives and they realize that you are a generous and kind king. You are not controlling or cruel but you are gracious and merciful and you are a king that it is a joy to serve. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.